Hey everyone, welcome to The Light Stand. I don't know if you've ever felt like an underdog in your life. Um, people telling you that you're not good enough. People prejudging you um, based on your past, saying that you're never going to be able to quit alcohol. You're never going to be able to quit drugs. You're never going to uh, be the husband or the wife that uh, God destined you to be. Um, maybe you were the patito feo, the, the, uh, that problem child, um, the kid that, you know, wasn't the favorite in the family and things like that, kind of like the black sheep and, um, you were treated different. Maybe, um, you know, your cousins are all, you know, going to private schools and, you know, doing this and that, uh, starring in their, in their teams, whatever. And then there's you, hanging out with the wrong crowd, dressing gangsta, baggy pants, shaved head, and, you know, no one believes in you. Um, only, you know, your, your, your parents are praying that you, that you find the light at the end of the tunnel to change your life around or whatever. Um, maybe... You know, you've you, you've gone to rehab several times. Maybe you've gone to therapy several times and things just don't change and you're an underdog. No one believes in you anymore. Um, man, I'm telling you what, guys, I just uh, if you have Apple TV, do yourself a favor and watch Underrated. It's the it's the show. It's the documentary of Steph Curry. Um, everyone knows who Steph Curry is. If you don't know who Steph Curry is. How are you even listening to this podcast? Like you need internet. <laughs> amazing, amazing story, dude. I was so moved. Was this episode inspired by that show? No. Okay. Yes. Um, amazing. So moving. So what? Like that. Th there's just so many things um, that at least I personally related with. Um, you know, because this is a kid who, or this is a guy who, his entire life, literally his entire um, you know, pre, pre-college or, uh, yeah, pre-college life was, was told that he was too small to play at a, at a high level. Um, you know, he, he, he would sit in the bench, he, even when he got drafted into the NBA, uh, he sat on the bench for the first seven games. He said, well, guess what? He's a four-time NBA champ now, uh, two-time MVP, uh, and this, uh, recent championship that he won, he was the finals MVP, but you know, he obviously put in a ton of work. It wasn't just gifted to him. So today I just want to give you some hope, um, for those of you that are listening and you feel like you're the underdog. Um, and I came up with a little bit of examples. So what my, I got to kick off the first example with, um, my hero when, you know, when I was a, when I was a little boy. Uh, you know, Rocky slash Rambo, Sylvester Stallone. You're talking about a guy who wrote the script for Rocky, broke as a joke, so broke that he that he sold his dog just to get extra money. That's how broke he was. But he shot the shot. He took his script to the 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 director uh, picture company, and they liked it, and they wanted to buy the script. And he said, I'm not going to sell it to you unless I play the main character. Some versions of the story says that he agreed to sell. 
and he was about to walk out the office, but then he turned around and said, you know what, never mind. If I don't play the main character, Rocky, you don't get the script. Who knows? But the point is that this guy was broke as a joke, basically living in the street, sold his dog, and he's and he shot the shot. And we all know who Sylvester Stallone is nowadays. Steph, you know, we 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 just chatted about about him. You're too small. You're too short. You're too skinny. You don't have enough muscle. Um, but the dude could shoot. I mean, he's the best shooter of all time now. Um, Allen Iverson, you know, uh, in high school he played um fo- uh, football and basketball. Ends up choosing to to um. To, to play uh, basketball in the NBA at six foot even. The, uh, the the average height in the NBA is six eight. That's the average per Google. Don't get mad at me if you don't agree. That's fine. Uh, get mad at Google. Um, but this dude is six even, dude, and 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 he goes on to to play in the NBA at a very very high level. And then there's this other guy named Nate Robinson. Maybe dating myself a little bit there, but Nate Robinson, 5'9", goes to the NBA, plays for several different teams, and this dude can dunk at 5'9". And he's a three-time slam dunk champion. None of these guys, would you say, yeah, you know, that I, I predicted it, you know, I saw it coming uh, yeah, they. You know, it, I'm not surprised that you know these guys are, are 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 successful at whatever they chose to do. Underdog, uh, Kurt Warner, one of my favorite stories. Not um not just because the dude's a Christian, but I mean his story is 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 amazing. 23 years old, he's stocking shelves for five bucks an hour. In 1994, he tries out with Green Bay Packers. And he doesn't make it. He doesn't give up on his dream. And still stocking shelves. He goes to play um, in the Arena Football League. Some of you guys don't even know what that is. But it it exists. All right. So he played uh, at the Arena Football League. And in 1996 and 1997, he takes his team to the Arena Bowl uh, both years. Then in 1999... Uh, he he signed by the Rams, finally, uh, and he's a third string quarterback in 1999. Things happen. Quarterback number one and two get injured. He ends up playing lights out and wins Super Bowl 34. From stocking shelves to winning the Super Bowl. Now, some of my other, uh, some biblical underdogs, and this is, this is huge because it just shows, I, uh, just on a personal level, man, I feel like God has a sense of humor. Um, he uses the least talented, the least probable, the bottom of the barrel guys and gals to do things uh to so here let me let, let me give you some examples so Gideon uh Gideon versus the Midianites and if you want to read the whole story I'm not gonna you know sit here and 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 read you guys the entire verse but 
Judges 6, 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah. Ophrah, P-O-P-H, Ophrah, um, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, Abiezer, Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Okay, now in Judges 7, God is basically preparing Gideon and his guys to fight the Midianites. So Gideon, or I'm sorry, Judges 7, verse 1. So Jerubal, that is Gideon, and his army got up early as he went uh, as far as the spring of Herod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000. This dude had 32,000 soldiers with him. Think about that. Can you picture 32,000 people ready to go to war? 22,000 of them go home. So now you only have 10,000. Judges 7 verse 4. But the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord said, Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs out of the river. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns um, and warriors and sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. The Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. That night, the Lord said, Get up, go down into the Midianite camp, for I have given you victory over them. But if you're afraid, of, but if you are afraid to attack... Go down to the camp with your servant Pura. Listen to what the Midianites are saying, and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. And the rest is history, guys. This dude takes 300 men when he had 32,000. And he beats the Midianites, which outnumbered them by a bunch. Why does why does God do that? Because he says, if if I let you win by your own will basically like by your own hand with the 32,000 you're going to say that you did it on your own 
So God takes the glory there. Second, David versus Goliath. This is probably one of the most favorite, famous stories in the Bible. If you want to read the entire thing, and I, I encourage you, you do. It's in it's in the in the book of First um, Samuel, um, verse seventeen. It really starts digging into you know who Goliath is and everything, and it describes Goliath. One Samuel seventeen verse four. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. Then the shaft of his spear was as heavy as and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why? Are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And as you all know, Saul ends up sending David, a little shepherd boy. I mean, you're talking about a fifth grader versus Mike Tyson here in his prime mid nineties, dude, or early nineties. Just imagine that little fifth grader stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson. This is David and Goliath. David, a shepherd boy goes up against a uh, uh, Goliath. And I love what he says. He says, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of God and I will strike you down. And as as the story goes, he gets his slingshot, puts a rock in it, slings it. And with all that armor that Goliath had on, think about how amazing God is. With everything that this dude had on, the rock ends up finding a spot without armor um, on, on Goliath's forehead. Hits him, dies instantly. David walks up takes his own takes Goliath's own sword and chops his head off. Amazing, amazing underdog story. Another underdog story, Moses versus Pharaoh. Highly encourage you guys read that. That is the entire book of Exodus. Um and, and in the first half, it it just really showcases that. I love it because um a lot of you are familiar with the story. You know, God talks through uh, God talks to Moses through a burning bush that is not being consumed by the fire. Moses walks up to it, and God starts talking to him, and he tells him that he wants him to go rescue his people out of Egypt. That Pharaoh has him under oppression and slavery, and he wants Moses to do it. And Moses keeps saying, "Yeah, God, but." send someone else, but I'm not a good speaker, but I'm not your guy, but can you, can, I, I I really don't want to, can you really send someone else? You know, and you guys can read through Exodus. It's there. And, and Moses finally obeys God and the story. And, and, and as you know, he was able to, um, in a very dramatic, only God can do this fashion, 
opens up the Red Sea and gets his people out of Egypt. Even when Pharaoh starts chasing them, Moses' people all already crossed the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh and his guys are right smack in the middle of this thing, God closes the sea upon them and everybody drowns. Which is a really cool historical, see, here comes my science geek um, part. There is historical evidence of horse remains, human remains, and chariots uh, remains. Um, they, they're all cor- they have like coral on them down at the bottom of the Red Sea. But there is a t- bunch of evidence down there in the Red Sea um, where it's like if you're in the middle of the Red Sea, how, how do you get chariots and horse remains and human remains? um with you know swords and stuff like that all that is there there was actually a youtube video i haven't seen it in years but i remember seeing that it was like a little documentary and it was super awesome but anyway underdog story another underdog uh the last example i'll give for this um podcast daniel versus babylon in the book of daniel you guys can read it on your own daniel has Um, His three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel 3, verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Why does God do that? Why does God use underdogs? This is where I feel like, man, he he has such a sense of humor because... Everyone expects the strongest, the smartest, the best to excel. But so that God gets the glory, he uses the underdog. All these examples are for you, Mr. and Mrs. Underdog, if you're listening. 
you're not too short. You're not too skinny. You're not too fat. You're not too old. You're not too young. When, as long as it's in God's purpose, you can succeed at what you're doing. Because God's going to get the glory. I invite you to ask God and pray. God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's my purpose? And let God reveal to you what your purpose is. Is he going to give you an amazing revelation of what to do with the rest of your life? Not really. Not all the time. Maybe yes, maybe no. He's God. I can't answer that question for you. But several examples in the Bible show that he's going to tell you your purpose for that specific season. The season that you're in. Maybe he needs you in this season to just stop working so much overtime, manage your money better. And be a better father. And be a better husband. Be a better mother. Be a better wife. Maybe in this season, he's asking you to join the worship team and serve him playing an instrument or singing to him. And maybe you don't feel like you're talented enough. Maybe you feel like you sound like um, nails going through chalkboard when you sing. That's how I felt. And I was like, God, I wanted to play guitar, man. Why, why, why do you send me with the singers? Am I going to come out on American Idol? <laughs> Absolutely not. But I work on my craft. I have an amazing teacher. Plus a bunch of YouTube. And I'm putting in the work because God deserves excellence. If you're going to do something for God, it deserves to be the best of the best. And all you got. Because why not? Like... That's it, it's for God, dude. So I invite you, man, to 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 take a take that step of faith. Maybe, maybe right now you feel like an underdog because you've been trying and forcing things in your life the way you want. You want your plans to succeed. Maybe you do pray and you're telling God, God, I want you to make me successful in what I'm doing right now. But God doesn't work like that. God says, you can do whatever you want. You have free will. And if that's what you choose to do, go for it. But that's not my purpose for you. So I'm not going to take part of it. I promise you, you're going to see blessings upon answered prayers. And things just turn around for you, man. When you say, God, you know what? I am not the driver. I uh, I see a lot of those stickers on bumper stickers. G uh, Jesus is my co-pilot. Wrong sticker, dude. Wrong mentality. God is not the co-pilot. God is the captain of the ship. And when you give up your control freak nature, when you give up your ego, when you give up your stubbornness and you say, God, you do it. You tell me what to do and I will submit and I will do your will for my life in this season. And you start walking on faith and he sees your heart. Because you can't trick God. God knows your heart, man. He knows what you're going to say before you even say it. He knows your thoughts before you even think it.
But when he sees that you're willing to submit truly and serve him for his purpose in your life, oh my gosh, get ready. It's it's so good. It, it feels amazing. It feels amazing to know that you are under his protection and under his will and you, life can throw you into the fire like those guys in the book of Daniel and you're not going to get burned because God's got you. So underdog, I invite you to pray and tell God, you, I'm going to give you the glory. Just tell me what to do. And you'll be amazed at what happens. We love you guys. God bless you. More to come.